0: Welcome back to the West London Witch. This episode includes a story of suicide and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is strongly advised. I have always thought that 112 Ocean Avenue is a stunning home. Although it may be the site of the horrific DeFeo murders and the infamous Amityville horror haunting, the house itself is beautiful to me. I also see a lot of similarities between the Lutzes, the family who bought the home after the murders, and Kyle and I. We love historic homes with character, whimsy, good bones, and that need a lot of work. We would happily buy a house that needed major renovation. And we're both really good at home improvement. In my idle reveries, I can imagine the two of us buying the old Dutch colonial. I can see Kyle building bespoke furniture in the yard, or fixing the porch, mowing the lawn, while I make sun tea, paint the home, and decorate freshly renovated rooms. I can see our puppy, Nala, running up and down the mahogany stairs, fetching in from the yard, and storing them in her secret hiding places. I can envisage us hosting dinner parties in the spacious rooms, music filling the eaves, and laughter bouncing off the crown molding. I can smell the crisp evening air as we take an autumnal wine and walk down to the lake, playing fetch with Nala as we crunch through golden leaves and blankets of pine needles. I see the home as a handsome property, full of potential and for the capacity of true joy and happiness. But how would I feel alone in the house? How would I feel on a dark, cold winter's night when the wind is rushing through the shutters, creating a hissing sound? When the mahogany steps are creaking as the temperatures make the wood expand and contract? How would I feel when the mosaic tile floors felt frozen beneath my slippered feet? when secret drafts begin to fill the partly renovated home, when the weather vane is spinning like a hamster wheel, creating a horrific metallic screeching wail, when an upstairs door seemingly closes by itself, or when Nala begins to bark at something unseen. Would I say to myself, this is just an old house? Or would I begin to think about the grisly murders that took place in its wooden clad walls? Would I pass by the DeFeo children's bedroom and see my own furniture delicately placed in the room? Or would my mind's eye take over, filling the space with twin beds, two little boys lying on their tummies tucked into dinosaur sheets, their heads blown to smithereens, brain matter clinging to the walls, and blood steadily trickling to the floor? Would I hear the shotgun blast echo through the house? Would I lie in my own bed, Nala at my side, shivering, shaking, whimpering, eyes dark and wild, as I turn over to see that the linens are soaked in a crimson syrup, the viscous liquid warm and metallic? Would I scamper from the bed, horrified and scared, only to see my own body laying in the pool of hot, inky ichor, Nala laying lifelessly beside me? Her dark, fluffy puppy curls matted with human debris. It's true that houses don't kill people. People kill people. But could you live somewhere that has seen such sadness, such tragedy, such unadulterated evil? And even if there's no evil left in the house, could you keep your own mind from taking you to a place so dark? dire and ghastly. Could your own imagination sour the property for you? It's easy to say that this is my house, but how do you make yourself comfortable within it? Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. Today, we're in for a very special treat. Chris and David are the co-founders of the Eastern Connecticut Paranormal Society. They are a paranormal research group based in Connecticut, and I've been watching their Facebook page for a while now. I was initially captured by their mission statement, to find the truth. It's not our goal to dramatize or sensationalize paranormal experiences, but simply to find the truth. Their Facebook is full of evidence and updates from their ongoing investigations and light hearted posts like, headed out to Woodstock, Connecticut tonight. The nearest Duncan is 15 minutes from the house. To think coffee is that far away might explain some paranormal happenings in the vicinity. When I reached out to them, I was delighted to find two kind, generous, open, and passionate investigators happy to share their expertise and stories. So grab a cup of coffee and relax as we talk about ghosts, ghouls, and grisly murders. I'm Rebecca Strazina. And this is the West London Witch, episode 19 The Enfilled Demon House. Chris and David are an interesting duo. Chris is a psychic medium, and David is a clairsentient medium. Now, if these two are conjuring images of Walter Mercado for you, think the exact opposite. Chris and David are humble modest, down-to-earth, and genuinely nice guys that have zero interest in the showmanship or the theatrics of ghost hunting or paranormal work. They are hyper-critical of their work and approach everything with a scientific lens. They leave their confirmation bias at the door and challenge each other in order to seek the most credible evidence of the paranormal. It's refreshing to see how well these two both complement And challenge one another. But how do two guys from the opposite sides of Connecticut, one in their 30s and one in their 50s, meet and create a paranormal research society? Oh, if I
1: got a story for you. Is that how it all starts, right?
0: Yes. Um,
1: Actually, this is the night that David and I met and decided that we should start form our own team.
0: This is Chris speaking to me from his sunny living room. We chatted for hours about everything from lobster boats to his mediumship, Zach Bagans, and spirituality. He's open, warm, bright-eyed, big smile, and and salt-and-pepper hair. There's
1: a house here in Connecticut that's referred to as the Demon House. And they were doing a, I guess, a terrible event for the family that they they were charging $25 for us to go and investigate. I'm like, okay. Um, the guy who was running it was a friend of mine. So I said, well, I'll go. I took my daughter and two of her friends. And we drove an hour and a half. That's how far away it was. And it was on Halloween night. You know, the whole, ooh. <laughs> but um, it turned out to be a very, pretty frightful night.
0: The house Chris and David were investigating on this first meeting is a really bizarre property. I struggled to find much credible information about it online. So I reached out to David for some help. And boy, has that guy hit the books. His research and history on the property is mammoth, and his knowledge is extensive.
2: So the house was built in 1771. However, an interesting thing to know is that there's no information on the original owners from 1771 all the way through until the 1830s.
0: This is the other half of the Eastern Connecticut Paranormal Society, David. To say that he has done a lot of research on the home is an understatement. He even has entire spreadsheets about the deaths recorded in this house, and there are many. At least 20 people have come to tragic and conspicuously unconventional ends in this home. It has been owned by a litany of people, and there are strange connections between a lot of the homeowners and how they died. One of the earliest sequences of tragedies that happened in the home was after a man named William Lydell bought the house in the late 1800s. Both he and his wife died in the home. His daughter Miriam inherited the house, and she and her husband began their family inside the home.
2: But they had three daughters, so it was Agnes, the baby, and then it was Elizabeth and Sarah. Sarah.
0: Sadly, their youngest, Agnes, died in the house, and there is a rumor that her father killed her and threw her in the fireplace. Elizabeth and Sarah also met grisly deaths in the home.
2: Now, here's where it's weird. The house is a duplex, so there's two sides and there's two staircases, one going up each side. This one particular staircase on this one day, uh, Elizabeth was walking, tripped, and fell down the staircase. And she broke her arm and she hit her head. She died in the hospital shortly after. I think she was 22 years old, something like that. Um, Two years later, her sister, Sarah, goes down the same staircase, trips, falls down the stairs, cracks her head open, and she died as well. So you have two sisters who died on the same staircase in the same house, two years apart. There's kind of a Record of twins in the house dying type of thing, which is weird because right now the homeowners have twin girls <laughs> in the home. Now here's where the, here's one that's definitely documented. I actually did find newspaper articles about this murder. Uh, Charles Comparato was living in the house with his his wife Rosa and their son Charles Jr. Now this man was having an affair with this woman, Josephine, who lived down the street. Long story short, he had dinner with his family one night, supposedly. He told them that this was going to be the last night that they would spend together. This is according to his son. The next day, he said he was going to go help Josephine with some electrical work down the street. Um, That was obviously not the case. And he grabbed an eight-inch stiletto knife Oh, he also had a 38 caliber caliber revolver with him he walked down the street knocked on the door she answered in her nightgown he repeatedly started stabbing her and then slit her throat in front of their eight-year-old um, she ran to a neighbor's house and collapsed in the yard he then went to the basement um, and shot the husband to death and then slit his throat um, he walked back home to the enfield house went into the living room and shot himself by the fireplace, which there is a stain on the hardwood floor still. And they've tried to get rid of it and it just won't come up. Going back to unsubstantiated claims, supposedly people who knew him said that he was hearing voices while in the home telling him to do it. And we have an EVP that we captured of a voice saying, do it. In a very malicious way, when we were asking Charles questions while we were there,
0: David was kind enough to send me this EVP. And if you listen really closely, you can hear a voice say, "Do it."
1: Can you do that intro?
0: Now, this might be an example of pareidolia, a phenomenon that occurs when our mind turns noises into words and things that we want to hear. But regardless, it's a pretty cool example of an EVP. If you're wondering what could be causing all of this tragedy and chaos, well, it's been said that there was a demon that once resided in the home and that was exercised by a priest.
2: When you look into the demon that was reportedly in the home, he's a Sumerian, a demon of Sumerian mythology. And one of his things that he does is he causes respiratory illness, um, cerebral hemorrhaging, things like that. So when you start looking at the deaths of the people that lived in the house, pretty much all of them were like cerebral hemorrhage, um, cracking their head open, some kind of freak accident, uh, pneumonia. So it's weird. And I know I know that these are common ailments that people die from. Um, it's just weird that in this house, they all seem to meet like this unexpected
0: end. And the terrible tales of tragedy just keep coming.
2: Then in 1961, uh, Peter Gadarowski, his wife and five children, Bobby, Richard, John, Cecilia and Paul lived in the house now this is kind of a tragic story here with this family the wife died of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease so again going back to the demon that's reportedly in the home we have more illness peter died from cardiopulmonary arrest in the home Uh, now the son robert or they called him bobby he his room was in the attic of the home and from people who knew him, they said that he started becoming very reclusive. He started uh, drawing weird drawings and symbols, uh, almost like shadows and entities and such. And uh, he just got weirder and weirder until one day he went out back in the garage and he hanged himself. Cecilia. Her and her boyfriend committed suicide together from carbon monoxide poisoning. They don't know why. This was a, there was no note. It was a random act. Stephen, one of the sons, he was um, classified as mildly retarded. I guess he fell down the stairs in the home and hit his head at a young age, and it led to some mental complications. He actually died at Riverside Amusement Park which is now Six Flags New England. He actually died due to asphyxia, asphyxia due to aspiration at a ride. So they actually had settlements with Riverside Amusement Park at the time. So that was another tragic death. Then Thomas, so he grew up and he became a cop on the Glastonbury, Connecticut police force. Um, He committed suicide via self-inflicted gunshot wound at the police station in the locker room. So this is kind of the just the story of this house, like everything, anyone who lives in the house just tends to meet some kind of tragic
0: end. And the house itself is quite mysterious. It was a duplex that was converted into a single family home and has now been returned to split living. When the house was being renovated, strange things were found hidden within the house itself
2: the word Satan and drawings of pentagrams inside the walls like in crayon and stuff and they're like who would have done that why they found red wax all over all the doors and windows in the whole house when they started taking down like sheetrock and stuff now red wax is um, a witchcraft thing it's for protection so someone in the house at some point was like probably Wiccan or some kind of pagan tradition and thought that they needed protection from something, so they were putting red wax all over the house.
0: The house has a long history of contractors abandoning projects midway through, never returning to the house again, not even to collect their tools. Tenants who have rented the property would leave in a rush and never return. And even now, the local police do not like to enter the property. When the current homeowners bought the house, were they aware of its history? No. Now, this is really interesting to me. In Connecticut, the law does not require realtors to disclose deaths to buyers. This law differs from state to state, but I just assumed that everywhere was like California, where we have really strict disclosure laws regarding deaths, murder, suicides, or other psychologically stigmatized factors that a property may contain. In Connecticut, it's suggested and encouraged that you are forthcoming with the buyer about deaths, but it's not legally mandated.
2: So that was not disclosed to them, and it actually started the first day in the basement.
0: The homeowner was working on piping in the basement when he became lightheaded, dizzy, and violently ill. He was vomiting and became disorientated.
2: He called 911 instantly. He thought there was a gas leak. And when they came over to inspect it, there was no gas leak of any kind. When the wife was pregnant, she claimed she got pushed down the stairs. And the reason they say it was pushed is because she, when she went forwards, her arms went back like someone pushed her instead of just tripping and falling.
0: When the twins were little girls, they told their parents they had made a new friend in the home and his name was Spooky, and he lived in their closet. The parents were understandably uncomfortable with the girl's relationship to Spooky, so they put a Bible in their closet, only to wake up the next morning to find the Bible in tatters all over the bedroom floor. But as time has gone on, the family have created harmony in the home, and they still live there to this day. But this house is the site where Chris and David met, At the beginning of the night, they were complete strangers. By the end of it, they had decided to create Eastern Connecticut Paranormal Society. When they got to the investigation, they didn't know the history of the house. They just knew that it was presumably haunted. It was only after the experiences that they had encountered that they decided to really put the legwork in and do the research on the home.
1: Not knowing any of the story of the house. We're investigating. I walk into the house and I immediately get the sense that there was, there is or was a demon there. I have uh, two two talents I haven't talked about yet. I'm an automatic drawer and an automatic writer. Um, and I start drawing, I start drawing the pentagram. I start drawing the face of this. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the devil, you know, but it was, in, it was non-human. Started drawing things like that.
0: The participants were split into groups of five. Chris, his daughter and her two friends, and David in one group.
1: The house was confused, but still had two front doors, two sets of stairs, and windows that you could, you could see five windows from the outside, but if you go inside, there's only four. We're up in, on the second floor, and we come across a And we're looking down, and it's like a staircase that goes to nowhere. Um, and that's a full—it's—it's it's, it's thirteen steps down, and you know it's a full set of stairs. And of course, I'm—I'm I'm big and bad. And I'll, I'll go down. Nobody wants to go down the stairs because it was dark, and nobody wanted to go down there. So I'll go down there. Uh, so I go down the stairs, and then another investigator says, so "Well, I'm going to follow. I'm going to go down." And she was behind me, and I get down to the bottom to the landing, and I come across another door. I'm like, wow, this is really weird. There's a door at the of the stairs. So I try to open it, and it would only open maybe an inch, so. And I'm like, I didn't want. It's not my house. I didn't want to like, bar down the door and break it. I'm pushing, you know, pushing on the door, and I, was like, I couldn't open it. And as I let go of the handle, it slams on, me, and a growl from the other side, or here out of me I was not expecting it I was like jesus walking on water I don't think I cl- I don't think I hit the first five steps of the stairs and then I realized I left Christine the other woman that was down there with me down down there I went right by her so I reached down behind and I grab her by the back of the jacket and yank her up I, we book up the stairs I get up to the top of the stairs I'm I actually just start crying I'm like crying and laughing at the same time, like, Christina's like, what was that? I'm like, did
2: you hear that out? I mean, it was like, Rrr. It was so funny. He didn't
0: say it was funny.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Because I was at the top of the stairs watching it. You know, big bad Chris going down the stairs. He's like, I got this. And he ran pretty quick. <laughs> we eventually find our way
1: to that room. We get to the doorway cannot go in. This this wall of energy. I could not physically cross over the threshold. Whatever was in there, not good.
0: The stairs that Chris heard the growling on are the same stairs the twins fell down to their death. And at the bottom of the stairs was the bedroom the little girl slept in, with Spooky hiding in the closet.
1: A uh, minister had gone in there and was able to clear this demon out So what I was picking up was residual energy. of When I was seeing all these evil things, I was picking up the scars, if you will.
0: But what about the growl?
1: That was real. What that was, I don't want to know.
0: This may have been Chris and David's first investigation. But five years on, they are still scouring New England for the truth. The thing about this demon house for me is even if the demon has been exercised, the scars, as Chris calls them, would be too much for me. I wouldn't be able to walk down those stairs without thinking of the twins tumbling to their death or sit by the fire and not be haunted by the bloodstain on the floor. I don't think I could cook dinner in a kitchen where there is documentation of two women being burned alive and dying on the flagstone floor. I wouldn't be able to put my kids to bed without wondering if Spooky would crawl out of the closet to play with them. I think living with the deaths in the home would be too traumatic for me. But Chris and David say that their goal is to help the clients, not the spirits. Chris says that the bottom line is if you have a spirited house, It's your house. You set the rules. They work extensively with their clients to educate them and empower them to take back control of their homes. They don't spend just one night on a location and then bolt. They are constantly on hand to help those who seek them out. The thing that I find so special and remarkable about the Eastern Connecticut Paranormal Society is that they conduct all of their investigations pro bono. And Chris does not charge for his mediumship work either. This group is so generous with their time, knowledge, resources, and abilities. They have such a strong ethical code about how to help, educate, and empower people who are experiencing the paranormal and really care about the happiness of their clients. Head on over to their Facebook or their website, www.easternctparanormal.com to keep up to date with all of their investigations or ask them questions about their work. You can even find them on Patreon for loads of behind-the-scenes footage, archives, and even some opportunities to join them on an investigation. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at thewestlondonwitch. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and come and follow us for additional content on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Ms. Sinead Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us.